it worth it? The Film Review Podcast presents Road to the Oscars. Join me, David Long, on this journey as we talk all things Oscars before the big event, the 94th Academy Awards, on Sunday the 27th of March, 2022. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Road to the Oscars. Hello and welcome to Roads to the Oscars. My name is David Long and I am your host. Welcome to Series 3, Episode 3. Today we will be analysing streaming services and what chances they have of glory come Oscars Sunday. Streaming services have become increasingly important in recent years, especially during Covid times. But is the Academy finally ready to crown a film from a streaming service with the coveted prize of Best Picture? On this episode, we will analyse the power of the streaming services. The streaming game continues to grow with a variety of platforms now available for the consumer. Think Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney+, HBO Max and many other platforms including the lights of Hulu. The list continues to grow and so does the success of streamers at the Academy Awards. Netflix earned 27 Academy Award nominations this year, marking its third consecutive year as the most nominated studio, while Disney earned 23 honours. On this show we will be looking at each streaming service and how much potential they have going into Oscars Sunday. Can Netflix win Best Picture? Will streamers have their most successful Academy Awards ever? And is streaming the future when it comes to the consumption of films? Stay tuned to find this out and much more. So sit back, get comfy and get ready for Road to the Oscars. So it once again gives me tremendous pleasure to have another special guest join me on this episode of Road to the Oscars to assess the power of the streamers is a friend of the show and a returning guest from the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. It's Andrew Morgan. Andrew, how are you? I am tremendous, sir. Anytime I can uh, be with you talking movies is a great time. <laughs> you know, Sir David, the Duke of Bettingham that I've now <laughs> dubbed you. I, I love that nickname and I'm going to stick with it. This is uh, this is going to be a blast, man. I'm I'm interested to see how much my my Netflix bias comes through. Mm, uh, so am I. To, to counter all the other Netflix bias uh, potentially in the Academy, but we'll get there. Yeah, I've been dubbed the Duke of Bettingham, and I have to say, when you <laughs> tweeted me that, I was genuinely laughing out loud, uh, and I think that's a name that's going to stick. Um, <laughs> before we dive into the wonderful world of streaming, um, please tell our lovely listeners what it is you do over at the Nomcast, and where our listeners can find all your work. Absolutely, yeah. We're, we're the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. We do... Reviews, previews, and interviews with the stars and creators of uh, all these Netflix original movies that we love talking about. Uh, the biggest and most popular titles. I just did uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre last night. <laughs> you know, so much different than doing this uh, podcast right now. 
You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NomCastPod, and you can go to NomCastPod.com for all past and current episodes. Uh, I even, for for our lovely listeners of this category, I even have an Oscars section where you can listen to all the past reviews of all the Oscar films and all oh, the wow. Oscar conversations. So go for broke with that and catch up with us uh, this past award season yeah no that's fantastic please do dear listener make sure you seek out andrew's podcast and if you're a fan of netflix which i'm hoping you are if you're listening to this show um then you will most certainly be a fan of the nomcast so where do we begin well of course i'm going to want to make use of andrew's expertise so we will be talking about netflix However, I thought we would start with the competition and try and assess the power of streamers through a wider lens. Look, I think it's no secret that streaming services such as uh, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus and Hulu, for example, did good business in lockdown. Um, For lots of, of people, many of these streaming platforms became a real staple of lockdown life. For example, Netflix added 16 million new subscribers within the first quarter of 2020 alone, according to the New York Times. And before we assess the power of the streamers, I want to pick Andrew's brain. That's why I've got him as a guest. Um, Andrew, how much of an impact do you think streamers are having? And is this good or bad for the industry overall? Well, I mean, obviously, we're seeing it in the Oscar nominations as well as you know, the popularity of certain things, the streamers are having a massive impact, uh, especially right now as we are still in the throes of a pandemic. Um, you know, people have started to adapt to viewing uh, movies at home more um, mm. and knowing what types of movies they would even think of venturing out to the theaters to see is, is now key as well. It's kind of really partitioned between blockbusters and and some of these smaller movies are now being moved to streamers uh quicker if not almost instantly um we are seeing big box office numbers for of course like comic book films and horror movies Mm. and basically anything that serves the 18 to 35 year old male uh, (laughs) is working because they never as a whole uh didn't care about the pandemic or didn't take it as seriously as some other groups. Mm. So those films seem to work. But anything else is a hard sell to the average older consumer right now. Families aren't making many trips to the movies, so they have you know many options at home, and v- vaccines for kids uh, don't exist at the moment. Um, so th- a lot of people are watching things at home even still. Um, plus, it's simple math for some of these families as well. Uh, pay 20 bucks a month to Netflix and you can watch a ton of movies for all ages in every genre. Or pay $50 in tickets alone for mm. a family of four to see one movie at one time. So it's it's kind of simple when, it, when you break it down that way. And a lot of people also upgraded their home entertainment systems over the last couple of years as well. Uh, if you're a middle class or higher family in the U.S., you probably have a 40, 50 inch flat screen <laughs> on your wall. So that's, you know, a lot of those prices have come down. So simply, it, it's just easier to have high quality at home and, and we're getting a little more picky. The movie theater experience means a little less to a lot of people and it only serves to, uh, to help the streaming industry. Um, you know, is that good for the movie industry? You You mentioned that, like... In some ways, yes, uh, because of all the competition with the streamers, um, 
you know, you're seeing more and more movies made than ever before. And people are watching a lot more movies than they ever have, uh, even though they're maybe not going to the theaters to do so. Uh, so the production part of the industry seems to be benefiting greatly. However, the finances of these films are changing all the time. Uh, it used to be simple, you know, you'd get the theatrical rollout domestically and globally. Then, you know, six to 12 months later, we start to see uh, PVOD and Blu-ray options. And then finally to streamers. Now, now, you know, it's those are all separate deals, revenue opportunities that help pad the back end for studios and producers. And some of the talent isn't like a relic now. Now, if the movie goes to streaming or has a day and date component, the numbers start to get adjusted. Some people get mad about it. Some people don't want that for their movie. And we start to rely on, you know, some of these uh, subscriber numbers and stock prices to finance these films more than we ever did years ago. And that's a, a, it's a, it's a weird relationship versus how it was in the past. So yeah, it's definitely turned the industry upside down. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, it's a game changer. It has changed the industry. And one thing I was thinking about when preparing this episode is that I sort of associate the cinema with big names and big stars. You see their names plastered on the posters, and they're they're really there to suck you into the cinema. You know, people like Dwayne the Rock Johnson stick his name on a poster, and you're going to sell tickets. Think of Lady Gaga. I think uh, I don't want to. I can't believe I've already mentioned her. Oh dear. Um, <laughs> but I think her name on the house of Gucci poster and in the trailers I think that put numbers on the box office so a second question for you is it becoming easier for streamers to attract these big name stars now oh absolutely uh especially uh, we'll get into like some of the financial ramifications but essentially the way studio uh and theatrical success kind of went it became more about IP than it became about stars. Mm. It became about characters more than stars. So a lot of times the the streamers pivoted and became kind of almost old Hollywood where they said, no, we're going to sell these movies based on the big stars. And they started to attract more and more and doing a lot of things that would benefit them. Um, the streamers are really desperate for eyeballs. It's a very heavily competitive uh, landscape. So people like Netflix, you know, with their big amount of cash climbing out of debt, you see them starting to uh, now, uh, you know, see these uh, tentpole action films go straight to streamers. You'd mentioned The Rock. Obviously, Red Notice was a big uh, thing this year in terms of at least, you know, eyeballs uh, seeing that move. You could talk about the critical response to that <laughs> in a different category, but it was deemed a success, at least as far as people tuning into that mm. film with big names and you're only going to see more and more uh you know you're also seeing upfront deals that buy out the old back-end models that we were mentioning and a lot of the famous talent is also using that stardom to produce these films that they're in and sign these overall deals with some of these streamers to make newly created production companies and get even more money on the back end than even just what their talent would allow you're seeing people like, you know, Adam Sandler, Charlize Theron. They're making a killing at Netflix right now uh, with these type of deals. And if you want to see evidence of this pivot for major stars to streaming, watch the Netflix sizzle reel for 2022. You got Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans in an action spy thriller. Jason Momoa is making a fantasy film. Eddie Murphy, Adam Sandler, Jonah Hill, Jamie Foxx. All the kings of comedy have gone streaming for big dollars that just aren't there 
theatrically right now for those type of movies unless you're jackass apparently <laughs> you know so if you want to go down that route uh by all means that's cool man i'm a big jackass fan but mm. you know you can also point to what marvel and disney uh are doing now and how quickly they move their product to disney plus now yeah there's a, a lot of big names every week on multiple streamers yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's a fantastic answer. And it sort of leads me on to my next and final question for the intro. Um, and it's got a slight Netflix stance, as obviously you are from the non-cast. Would you say Netflix is continuing to grow? Or are all these competitors starting to take their toll? Uh, interesting. Uh, they are continuing to grow. Mm. Uh, but most of, of their opportunity for growth is coming from outside of the U.S., Yes. Uh, domestically for the U.S., that's where they're really getting hit the hardest uh, with competition like Disney Plus and HBO Max really surging, uh, especially in the past year. Um, but, you know, outside of that, they still have growth opportunities uh, globally that they are still uh, looking to capitalize on. But, yeah, like I said, Disney Plus and HBO Max have done a great job in the last year or two with creating large-scale IP content that people are really desperate to see. And, you know, also stripping all these back catalog titles away from people like Netflix and, and adding more and more onto their service all the time. Um, but 2022 is where things start to get interesting uh, to me. HBO Max is not doing day and date this year like they did in 2021. Mm. So that kind of knocks them down a peg. See how they adjust uh, with that. Um, they also had a lot of deals with free trial offers. I know as I'm an AT&T customer, HBO Max is free to me, but I don't know if that's going to happen in perpetuity because AT&T has less of a stake now that Discovery bought HBO Max. So is that going to expire soon? I know a lot of people who got it through you know, their cable subscription or other things. So those numbers could be slightly inflated and might come back down to earth this year. Um, so who knows? Um, and especially, you know, if something instantly costs money instead of being free, you know, are they going to stay on the platform when they're not getting Dune in the Matrix every week or, you know, every yeah. couple months? I don't know. Uh, only time will tell with that. Uh, Disney Plus is in less of a bind because they still uh, they, they will be home because they will be the home of the largest pandemic movie in Spider-Man No Way Home and have a yes. bunch of shows in their pipeline. Uh, for stars and Mar Star Wars and Marvel, so they're in, in a much better position. They also will start to get their tourism, entertainment divisions back up, cruise lines, things of that nature. The theme parks really rocking and rolling once uh, the pandemic starts to settle down again. So they'll start to be more flush again with cash. Uh, so Disney could have a big year this year. Um, but are they making enough content right now is some of the questions that I have with them. I haven't even thought about Disney Plus since the Book of Boba Fett ended, and I didn't even really like it. So that's tough. <laughs> um, I didn't stay on their service after watching it while I was watching it, um, because what else am I going to watch? They usually have like one show going on at a time, so there's no real incentive for someone above a certain age to really kind of hang tight uh, with Disney+. Mm. Plus. And to be quite frank, I have young kids, and even they watch more Netflix than any other service uh, because there are a ton of options and new stuff yeah. all the time. Um, it's all about filling all the quadrants going forward. Netflix has been doing that for many years now with a lot of original content that they own, so it means they're 
usually they're not paying these licensing fees. They're doing great in terms of the financial ramifications as well as the content stuff. And then Disney Plus, you know, they have a great back catalog for families and, of course, the Marvel and Star Wars stuff. But they don't produce as much new content as Netflix, so that could be Mm. an issue going forward. Uh, HBO Max is really good for older audiences, I find, uh, with more violent comic book films and prestige TV shows like Succession. I love Succession. Uh, But they aren't (laughs) ideal for young kids right now, even though they have like Cartoon Network and some of these other things. Their new stuff, they don't have any of that for young kids. They don't churn out the content in that way right now. So they need to get better and more maybe family-friendly for that to, I think, grow going forward. Um, Amazon Prime, they're playing a whole different game, you know, when your video subscriptions are tied into things like free next day shipping for socks. You know, it's a little (laughs) bit different. They have a lot of subscribers. It's a big number, but it's how many of them are active users? How many of them Mm. are, like, actually enjoying uh, their product on the platform? Not as much as you would maybe think based on the high subscriber number, um, they seem to care less about competing. So we'll see Mm. what they will do, but they have a lot of money. So if they ever wanted to ramp up and steal some limelight, they can. I mean, they're doing that sort of with Lord of the Rings right now. That's going to come this year that, you know, you don't buy a Super Bowl ad unless you think you're competing. Um, (laughs) And the MBGM acquisition also showed that they care at least somewhat. Uh, Apple is another one that has incredibly deep pockets they have a foothold in China and some premium talent making content for them. They managed to grab some of the early Pixar animators and brought them into their uh, fold. So they will have an improving animation department soon. Yes. Uh, they don't have a ton of subscribers now, but you know, if they really wanted to go full throttle, they could in a very big way. Yeah, I put a, a big stamp of approval on everything you've said there. Um, and I think just a little bit of context here uh, and a few numbers, um, I was sort of diving, I did a bit of a deep dive into Netflix and its financial history. <laughs> it was quite fascinating, but I'll, I'll keep it brief. Um, in the fourth quarter of 2021, Netflix generated total revenue of nearly 7.7 billion US dollars, up from the 6.64 billion in the corresponding quarter of 2020. The company's annual revenue in 2021 amounted to almost 30 billion US dollars, continuing the impressive year on year growth which Netflix has enjoyed over the last decade. We will obviously talk uh, more about Netflix later. However, for a little bit of context for this episode, I just wanted to have a little look, quick look at the subscription numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and as of November 2021, according to Screen Rant, the worldwide subscription numbers were estimated as follows. Netflix is leading the way, Andrew, you'll be delighted to know, <laughs> um, with an estimated 213.5 million subscribers. Amazon Prime Video is in behind with 175 million, but how many of those are actually watching content as opposed to just obviously taking advantage of the next day delivery? I think that's a brilliant point. Right. Disney Plus is in third with 118.1 million. Peacock is fourth, 54 million. HBO Max and HBO are fifth with 45.2 million. Hulu is sixth with 
1.8 million and seventh at the bottom of the pile and it's not very often you see Apple at the bottom of a list Apple TV plus around 19 million obviously as I said first thoughts looking at this you're delighted to see <laughs> Netflix at the top but I think having formed in 2019 Disney plus will be delighted with their numbers and growth and we will discuss the house of mouse later however what we're going to do is we're going to start by having a little look at hbo max and hbo max is 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 has an interesting hand this year it's really a double-ended sword um, with best picture nominees dune and king richard so let's start with dune and i think it's important to give a bit of context to dune's release and what power the streaming service has had um, on its success and what it means come Oscars Sunday. Um, June hit HBO Max the same day it hit theatres, October 21st, 2021. However, as with all HBO Max simultaneous releases, also known as day and date releases, it was available for only one month on the streaming platform. Warner Brothers slash Legendary Pictures June hit a new milestone, crossing the $400 million mark worldwide. On Monday the 15th of February, when I was doing a bit of research for this, the international box office total stood at $292.3 million, with $107.8 million from the US market, with an estimated global haul of $400.1 million so far. So not only has June seen financial success, but it's also been honoured at the 94th Academy Awards with 10 Oscar nominations. Best Picture, Adapted Screenplay, Editing, Score, Costume Design, Sound, Makeup and Hairstyling, Cinematography, Production Design and Visual Effects. No Best Director for Denis Villeneuve. Um, we will touch upon that in our Director episode, which Andrew was on last year, and Amy Smith um, will be on this year. Um, it's, it's, it's really, really interesting. We will talk a little bit about um, what impact HBO Max streaming Dune had on its box office numbers and what it means come Oscar Sunday. But first, 10 nominations for Dune. How many wins do you think it's going to get? I've been really going back and forth on this. I think <laughs> Tell I, me about I, it. <laughs> I think I stand right now at about four or five wins, I'd say. Yeah. I think they're really good on visual effects, production design, cinematography, and sound, and maybe score. The tough part is that I love Hans Zimmer, and he yeah. has some of the best scores I've loved in the last couple of decades. He doesn't win enough to make me feel comfortable with that, and, and especially even some of these high-profile ones we thought he would be uh, you know, uh, rewarded for in the past never came through. So that's an interesting one. I'm leaning away from that uh, in favor of Johnny Greenwood and Power of the Dog yeah, so at the I. moment. But we'll see how that shakes out as maybe we see some of these other award shows tick through. Um, I feel like this movie is basically just having the similar path to other larger scale fantasy films like Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. That won four out of its 12 nominations. So I think four would actually be a great number for Dune, especially when Lord of the Rings actually had more support in the acting categories and yes. other things that Dune actually doesn't have. Um, even though obviously, you know, uh, it, it has a ton of nominations. 10 is very good, but, uh, I think four or five would be, would be a good number for them at the end of the day. 
Yeah, I've I've been really cautious with June. Um, I'm lingering around three or four. But you know me, the Duke of Bettingham. The fascinating, yes. th- the fascinating thing about um, Dune is that it's it's actually the favourite in seven or eight of these categories. Yeah. Um, so the bookmakers are expecting it to go home with a you know a, a good percentage of its nominations. Um, I have Dune winning VFX, sound, and production. Um, I'm leaning towards Johnny Greenwood in score, um, and I think the power of the dog could take editing as well. Um, and I think I think if we see the power of the dog take editing earlier in the night, I think that'll be a real sign of strength for the dog come the best picture announcement. And I also like some longer shots as well. Like Dune is the favourite in cinematography, but I thought the cinematography in The Tragedy of Macbeth was just outstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also really um, think that the costumes in West Side Story are a fascinating outside chance in that category. I just, and I've said this on my podcast, I've said this on Mike, Mike and Oscar, I think I said it on yours, I struggle to live in a world where Dune is winning seven, eight Oscars yeah. and doesn't win Best Picture. Right. So that's why I just think the love might be spread around a little bit more. Dune clearly did well at the box office, but this is another question, and it, and it sort of it does obviously link in with the the, ep, the theme of this episode, which is streaming. What impact do you think the simultaneous release had on Dune's box office success? Uh, not as much as maybe you think. I think it had some, but not a ton. I mean, HBO Max is largely a North American product with only mm. some strides coming from overseas. Um, so the day and date option wasn't for everyone, uh, and. Plus, this is the type of movie that people will want to see on a big screen. And, and of course, uh, even the biggest screen they can. I mean, IMAX releases were very popular with this one as well. So you get the best sound, the best screen, uh, and they can experience it in the most optimal way. To his credit, Denis Villeneuve did a great job of marketing that thought and advocating for that type of experience. And it paid off. Mm. It seemingly paid off. Uh, for a non-comic book tentpole that is, let's admit, very dense in its subject matter, I think it did <laughs> yes. very well at the box office. Could it have hurt the rewatch revenue or maybe a casual moviegoer revenue in the domestic box office? I'm sure maybe a little, but largely, I think it did exactly what it should have. Yeah, and I think Dune's the kind of film that, as you said, I think it demands to be watched on the biggest screen possible. And in light of, of what we said there, you know, p- potentially people wanting to rewatch it, um, that dual release, do we think um, this kind of release is the future of big blockbusters? I don't think so. Um, or at least not right now, not for the foreseeable future. I mean, the theatrical rollout model, you can see it with Spider-Man No Way Home. It's still incredibly lucrative if you have a large-scale eventized movie like this one is and especially for any sequels to come too for this film you know marvel bond dune they all did well during the pandemic Mm. period and will continue to have you know success theatrically for the foreseeable future but you know will the studios who produce these films pivot quicker to their streaming services absolutely um you'll maybe see smaller windows and negotiated smaller and smaller windows as things go on once the numbers slow for their other revenue options, they will immediately move the film to streaming. Uh, anything to feed subscribers and Wall Street's 
faith in the product, uh, that would be absolutely <laughs> happening all the time. Yeah, and um, it's interesting because obviously you would think Dune, 10 nominations, maybe that's the end of the uh, the story for HBO Max. But actually, there's a second helping from HBO Max, and that is the feel-good film King Richard. King Richard, like Dune, premiered on HBO Max and in cinemas simultaneously on November 19th, 2021 six oscar nominations for uh king richard including best picture best actor will smith best supporting actress ingenue ellis best original screenplay zach balin best film editing and best original song be alive beyonce Knowles carter um which i mean that I, I think that don't rule beyonce out on oscar sunday because she's She's Beyonce. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, she. we're talking about the power of the streamers. That woman has a lot of power. And again, um, you know, like Lady Gaga, she's just a, a big institution in herself. So Absolutely. I think that that King Richard has has some interesting coattails there. Um, and it, and it's, it's an interesting contender um, in the best picture race. And I know you're worried about films like King Richard over the power of the dog. Can you just explain to our listener why that is? Well, I see it pretty plainly, man. It's, it's simple to me. The two things that the power of the dog has against them for being a best picture winner, along with many other wins on the night, is number one, it is a slow burn movie about grief and gaslighting that isn't for everyone. Uh, two, it's a Netflix movie, and Netflix has never won Best Picture. Yes. King Richard benefits from being a crowd-pleasing film starring an A-lister who has never won uh, a Best Actor or any kind of Oscar in the past, and is backed by a major legacy studio. Now, is an Academy voter who's been de- you know, dealing with the pandemic for two years going to vote for a bummer of a movie for the <laughs> second straight year? Or is you know the new you know, coming out of the pandemic optimism going to help films like King Richard, Belfast, or maybe even Coda at the end of the day. I think it can. Um, I don't know if it's enough to beat Power of the Dog and all its momentum, yeah. but we'll see. I think it might be closer than we think. Yeah, just briefly, um, I know they're not Academy voters, so it might be a slightly sort of redundant point, but I've been trying to speak to as many people as I can, uh, friends, you know, people at my church, you know, where I interact socially, to try and gauge how many people have seen The Power of the Dog and what people make of it. And like I said in my original review, which I somewhat regret, but I do stand by the fact that I think a lot of people struggle with this movie Mm -hmm. because it is... It is a slow burn, but it's also it's like a it slaps you around the face and it and it and it and it it hits you hard. Like it's not a particularly pleasant watch. It's it's not a crowd pleaser. And like you said, on on the arse end of a what feels like a twenty year pandemic, but I yeah. think it's been about <laughs> about two years. Uh-huh. And on the back of Nomadland, which wasn't exactly all sunshine and rainbows. Right. Is Best Picture, again, going to go to, as you call it, and it makes me laugh, a bit of a bummer? Um, (laughs) So of the two films that we've just talked about, um, Dune and uh, King Richard, um, which is the biggest threat to the power of the dog and why? 
Well, I guess it depends on what you mean by threat. If you mean mm. threat for best picture, weirdly, I think it would be King Richard. Um, I agree. But if the threat is stealing Oscars overall from The Power of the Dog, it's more likely Dune uh, as they are competing more head-to-head in a couple of very competitive categories, like you mentioned before, like cinematography or score. So that, I think, is really what it comes down to, what you think is the threat at this point. Yeah, um, I think one thing we can say for certain is that HBO Max will definitely see some success come Oscars Sunday. The level of that success, well, tune in to the Academy Awards to find out. But how about Jeffrey Bezos? Um, Is it Bezos or Bezos? (laughs) Bezos. Bezos. I'm I'm glad we clarified it. (laughs) But one thing that is for certain is the man has a lot of money. Um, As of 2022, his net worth was estimated at 197.2 billion US dollars. They say money can't buy happiness, but can it bring you Oscars? Well, let's have a look. This year, Amazon Prime Video has two films representing it, Being the Ricardos and Coming to America. Let's start with Being the Ricardos, which is available now on Amazon Prime, as said. Uh, It has three Oscar nominations, all in the acting categories. Best Actress, Nicole Kidman. Best Actor, Javier Bardem. And Best Supporting Actor, J.K. Simmons. Coming to America also got an Oscar nomination for Best Hair and Makeup. Some people had it in their predictions, some didn't. But if you've seen that film, as I have, um, the hair and makeup is certainly a standout. Um, Amazon won two Oscars last year for The Sound of Metal, and historically it has had some success too. Um, In 2017, Amazon Studios became the first streaming service to be nominated for Best Picture. This was for Manchester by the Sea. Um, The film was also nominated for a total of six Academy Awards, winning two Best Actor for Casey Affleck and Best Original Screenplay. Um, The film The Salesman in 2016 won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. So Amazon has had some success in the past and at the moment its hopes for Oscars gold you would think lie with Nicole Kidman. So Andrew, compared to Netflix, Amazon Prime have much lower numbers of nominees at the 94th Academy Awards. Why do you think this is? I mean, simply, and this goes against a lot of other streamers, Netflix cares about it more, simply. Mm. Like, Ted Sarandos and a lot of the people in their film division simply care more about the industry and award success uh, than a lot of other streaming competitors do. If you ask anyone who lives in L.A., they're like, every billboard is taken up with Netflix (laughs) all over the place. They care. They care about uh, trying to win this thing. Why else would they care even about smaller categories like short films if they didn't want the juice of leading in nominations and wins? It doesn't make a lot of fiscal sense. So pretty much they just simply want it. Uh, Amazon is an odd one to figure out. They seem to grab one or two of these, you know, type films out of the festivals and try to make it to award season. But they're just not that good at it. <laughs> or at least <laughs> not as good as Netflix is at it, for sure. I mean, you know, I thought last year they had one of the best slates with One uh, one Night in Miami and, and uh, what was the other one? 
Oh, Sound of Metal? Sound of Metal. Uh, they had quite a few uh, that were going on. Uh, their originals were top-notch, I thought, last year uh, compared mm. to a lot of others. And yet, still didn't win anything uh, at the end of the day. Uh, especially one night in Miami, I think, got completely blank. So that was a shock to me. Um, and even this year, for example, they made uh, the U.S. deal with Oscar Farhadi's uh, Hero, uh, with the thought to push that film for best international feature at the Oscars, you know, if that film is in Netflix hands, does it make it into the field of five? Probably, you know, with that kind of prestige of a name that has won Oscars in the past, probably. But you know, with Amazon, they didn't. Uh, could they get a win this year with Nicole Kidman? Sure, but I think that has uh more to do with the reputation of Kidman and Aaron Sorkin than it has to do with. Amazon's, you know, great marketing campaign, as it were. Yeah, I think that's a, um, a fantastic answer. And as you said, it does appear to me, obviously, I don't live in L.A. Uh, I live in the wonderful Hemel Hempstead, Hertfordshire, <laughs> United Kingdom, um, mm-hmm. which is about as far away from L.A. in every sense of the word <laughs> as you possibly could be. But I follow a lot of sort of awards pundits and commentators on Twitter, and all of them have made the same point that Netflix has really been ramping up their campaign for films like The Power of the Dog to the extent that I think it was a couple of hours after the Oscar nominations were announced. Yeah. They had billboards up in LA with 12 Oscar nominations, you know, 12 time Oscar nominated The Power of the Dog. Um, right. They also had the, the the picture of Cody Smith McPhee with the dog, which I thought was a little <laughs> bit mis- misleading for the film, but that's a side point. <laughs> Very um, true. <laughs> it's, it's sort of sucking you in for a film that's not really what they're advertising but we won't get distracted um so yeah i think i think you're right i think netflix you know led the way last year and we will come on to netflix shortly they lead the way again this year and i think they are more invested in um award season and oscars than than the likes of amazon um because as you said amazon is is a a multi faceted beast in the sense that it's got its fingers in many pies yeah like you said it's it's not just a streaming service it's primarily a, a distribution company um the biggest in the world but from amazon to apple um it's now time to discuss another giant company that's dipping its toe into the streaming water launched in november 2019 Apple TV Plus has also got some nominees at the 94th. Uh, Apple actually received a total of six nominations at this year's Oscars, uh, including Best Picture for Coda, Best Actor Denzel Washington in The Tragedy of Macbeth, Best Supporting Actor Troy Kotzer in Coda, Best Adapted Screenplay Sean Heder for Coda, Best Cinematography Bruno Del Bernal, The Tragedy of Macbeth, and Best Production Design, Stéphane Deschamps, The Tragedy of Macbeth. So three Oscar nominations for CODA, three Oscar nominations for The Tragedy of Macbeth. Andrew, Apple has never won an Oscar. Apple has done many things in this <laughs> world, including changing the um, the technological scene, the, the smartphone game, but they've never won an Oscar. What would you say is their best chance of winning an Oscar this year? It pains me to say because it comes at the expense of one of the Power of the Dogs (laughs) strong suits, but I would say Troy Kotzer for Coda. Mm. I see him everywhere 
on Twitter yes. and, and all different kinds of social media. Um, people seem to love this guy uh, all during his campaign. He's got a lot of enthusiasm, heart, and energy, and has made uh, at least one passionate speech at the Gotham's that won a lot of mm. people over. Uh, he would benefit from being in uh, a crowd pleaser that is about a community that has highlighted uh, that was highlighted excuse me favorably last year with sound of metal so mm. he could topple a big favorite in cody smith mcphee if this is where the academy wants to reward this film so puzzle theory if you look at the types of nominations and they like this movie a lot i wonder if this is where they reward them yeah i i totally agree with what you said there i I also agree with Troy Kotzern, and I, one of the reasons why is the cannibalization between McPhee and Clemens. I think both of them are fantastic in that movie, but they could split votes, and by that splitting of votes, that could lead a pathway for Troy Kotzern. As you said, uh, and, and I'll reiterate this, he, firstly, his performance is brilliant. And secondly, his campaign has just consisted of him being the most wonderful human being that's ever existed. <laughs> yes. So th- I think that will that will do well. And as previously mentioned, I think the cinematography in The Tragedy of Macbeth is just drop-dead gorgeous. So don't rule that out either. But a question for you as a Netflix lover. You know, we saw it at the bottom of that list at number seven in terms of um, the number of subscribers to Apple TV+. Um, but does something like Apple TV Plus threaten Netflix and its subscription numbers? Are you scared of Apple? <laughs> In a way, yeah. Long term, <laughs> long term at least, yes. Um, as I mentioned previously, they have you know very deep pockets, a strong foothold in China, some impressive talent, uh, you know, in the creative and development side, and frankly, one of the strongest marketing tools ever in the history of mankind in the smartphone yeah. uh, you know, with the iPhone that they fully control. So they are scary if they truly want to be major players in this sandbox, as it were. And we'll see if they really want to get that way. From what I hear, you know, they more care about being the cool kid at the table. They love yeah. the fact that Ted Lasso is a Halloween costume. Like, that's the <laughs> stuff that they love. They love bragging rights. So it wouldn't be shocking if they got – whether they get stronger in just overall subscribers is one thing, but especially in award stuff, I think they really care. Yeah, I, I, I think I think you're right. You know, you, you know, more fool anyone that rules out Apple as a serious contender going forward with that um, streaming platform, Apple TV Plus. But we'll we'll move on to um, the next streaming platform that I want to uh, mention, and that is Hulu. Um, Hulu currently has a number of Academy Award nominated films available on their streaming service. Uh, Summer of Soul, nominated for Documentary Feature. Uh, Spencer is on Hulu, nominated for Actress in a Leading Role, Kristen Stewart, um, who did make it in over Lady Gaga. No, I'm not bitter. Um, (laughs) History Making Flea. Nominated for documentary feature, animated feature, and international feature film. Um, interesting to see. I can't see it going three for O. I think it's probably best chances lie in, in doc feature there. And Nightmare Alley as well. Nominated for best picture, costume design, cinematography, production design. And finally, also on Hulu, is Four Good Days. Nominated for original song, Somehow You Do. Um, quick question for you, Andrew, before we move on to the next streamer. You know, how popular is Hulu in the US? Um, because it's it's not a streamer that I have or I don't I don't believe we have it in the UK. So right. 
what you know what what's it like in the US is it, is it a, bit, a real big player it is because of its association with Disney. It's basically mm. it gets the added benefit of being part of that Disney bundle here in the U.S. along with ESPN. Um, so it's it's all just controlled by Disney. That was part of the Fox merger. So Disney moved a lot of their stuff that they don't want on their more family friendly uh, platform and move it all to to Hulu, including <laughs> basically everything for FX. Just went all over that way. Um, their subscriber base is much larger than that reputation would suggest. Hmm. Um, how? Because outside of a few originals that work for them, such as like The Handmaid's Tale or something of that nature, they kind of serve as this platform, like I said, of this non-family-friendly entertainment that Disney Plus doesn't want to take on. And, you know, it's kind of a repository in a lot of ways. They're starting to get a little more and more uh, on the original side. Um, but you know, a large percent of those Oscar nominated titles you mentioned are not Hulu films per se. So it's not like they're one of these streamers that are doing, you know, the, the push as it were, you know, it's a lot of times they have these deals with certain studios. Uh, neon is one of these, um, they have a deal with Hulu to bring their films to the platform and searchlight which was formerly Fox Searchlight, um, you know, also contributes to Hulu because of the Fox merger. So basically a lot of these are not Hulu movies. They just yes. benefit from these kind of exclusive rights deals uh, with certain studios. And in fact, Nightmare Alley is not even exclusive to Hulu. They are also playing on HBO Max in the States at least, mm. um, you know, because of that weird distribution post-Fox merger mm. that some of these films have. I actually feel bad for them because, as you know, Searchlight was a huge player in the Oscars field and obviously still has some clout, but Disney cares a lot less about awards, so I'm mm. very interested to see how that all shakes out. Yeah, as you said, Hulu gets the added benefit of being part of that Disney bundle, um, and that leads us nicely on to the next streamer and to the world's richest mouse. Um, so, and good Lord, is that mouse rich? Uh, his stocks of cheese are just piles of cheese. Yes. I've never seen so much cheese. No Swiss um, there. No Swiss <laughs> there game. So, so let's have a look at uh, Disney. Uh, and their streaming platform is, of course, um, Disney+. Plus. Now, Disney received a total of 23 uh, Oscar nominations and I think it is important to note that not all of these nominations were for films that debuted on its streaming platform but the wider studio and everything that it encompasses um, and we could talk for a long time about Disney but what I'm going to do is I'm going to home in on some things that are currently on Disney Plus and start with the three animated features um, and I think it's really interesting to see how Disney has used its streaming platform to promote these three movies. So let's start with Encanto, um, which is currently streaming on Disney+. Plus. Three nominations, Best Animated Feature Film, Best Original Song and Best Original Score. This film was released in cinemas on November 24th, 2021, but came to Disney+, Plus a month later... On Christmas Eve. Um, also streaming on Disney Plus now is Luca. That has one nomination for Best Animated Feature Film. 
Luca actually premiered on Disney Plus on June 18th, 2021. And finally, uh, streaming now is Raya or Raya and the Last Dragon, which again has one Oscar nomination um, for Best Animated Feature Film. Raya and the Last Dragon was due to come out in theatres in the United States on November 25th, 2020. However, this was delayed to the 5th of March, 2021 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, the film was simultaneously available on Disney Plus Premier Access as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic's effect on movie theatres. Now, I think what's really interesting to notice is how all three of these Oscar nominees have come through the Disney Plus platform at different times and in different ways. In Conto, a month after a cinematic release, Luca premiered on Disney Plus and Raya and the Last Dragon had a simultaneous release in theatres and on Premier Access. I think this is really smart marketing and strategy um, from Disney, keeping it varied, keeping people on their toes, ultimately putting all of these three animated feature films through the um, the machine that is Disney+. Plus. Um, and in terms of Oscars, um, in that animated feature category... Um, this is Encantos to lose, right? Oh, I would say so. I mean, you and I have talked about it <laughs> in a very sad way uh, a lot of yes. times, either personally or or over on uh, the Nomcast, of course. But mm. I would say that based on the nominations and other categories, for sure, uh, that makes them kind of a front runner. But I still think it's a little early to tell. Yes. Uh, I want to kind of see how everyone else who is not the Golden Globes awards this category in particular. <laughs> um, BAFTA and the Annies uh, are, are something that I'm really honing in on. Last year, Soul won the BAFTA and won seven of their 10 Annie nominations, including Best Animated Feature. Mm. Uh, the Annies have actually picked seven of the last 10 Best Animated Feature winners, and only the only times that they were different uh, was when they went against Disney Pixar. So a lot of this information still points to Encanto winning uh, yep. thus far. But man, do I want it to be Mitchells versus the Machines. And you and I have, are, are seemingly on the same side of that coin. Yeah, we are singing from the same hymn book when it comes to Mitchells versus the Machines. And if you, the listener, haven't seen Mitchells versus the Machines, it is on Netflix. I really recommend watching it. Um, it's just, a, it's a brilliant film for the family, but it's also got loads for kids, loads for the adults. It's 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 a great all round film. Absolutely. Um, we, I did mention sort of how those three Oscar nominees had all come to the Disney Plus platform at different times and in different ways. I think it's clever strategy from, from Disney. Um, what did you make of this strategy from Disney? Yeah, it just makes good fiscal sense for them, you know, because the pandemic times were not bringing in families, especially before vaccines for children. Mm. And, you know, we're still relatively slow even after uh, the children five and up were eligible for the vaccine. So you could see based on the release dates that Disney just basically played to the times and kept bringing their big guns to Disney Plus as soon as they could. And it is still going on as the new Pixar movie Turning Red is coming to Disney Plus exclusively uh, in a couple weeks on March 11th. So, you know, Pixar and their animated selection is definitely one of the key drivers for their mm. platform. And if they have to s sacrifice 
some potential box office returns to drive up subscribers or maintain their early su success with their streaming service, they will do so at any point. Uh, these streamers care more about uh, their perception as that seems to be the driver for the stock prices, uh, which is everything mm. to the streamers in this landscape. Uh, also, you know, it worked for Soul uh, yes. late in the year uh, when that happened. Um, you know, so if that worked out during awards time and drives their stock price up uh, and their sub base up, why not do it? You know. Mm. Yeah, uh, I I agree with everything you said there. Um, and an another film to to quickly to quickly look at is um, Cruella. Uh, that is also currently on Disney Plus. Two nominations for Cruella: best costume design and best makeup and hairstyling. Um, Cruella arrived in cinemas on, and on Disney Plus via Premier Access on the 28th of May 2021 after its release date was pushed back again uh, from December 2020 due to the pandemic. Um, it became widely available on Disney Plus on August 27th. So again, an interesting strategy from Disney. Um, you had that premiere premiere access. You had it in the in the theaters. Then you had it on August twenty seventh as a wider piece of content for Disney Plus subscribers. Um, and look, there's obviously a lot more films that we could um, discuss, um, but the podcast would then be nine hours long. Um, <laughs> so a couple of questions before we move we move off of Disney. Um, and I think I know the answer to this. I certainly have an answer in my head. Is Disney Plus the biggest threat to Netflix? I'd say definitely in the short term, yes. Mm. Uh, they have the biggest IP in Marvel, Pixar, and Star Wars. And they happen to have a massive family-friendly catalog from over 70 years plus of success, you know, at least. Mm. So they seem to have most of the buzziest shows on streaming with a weekly release strategy that seems to be working for them too. Uh, they are also propped up by the bundles we mentioned earlier here in the U.S. with Hulu and ESPN and those early low prices uh, that they kind of had for the bundles or for the platform itself. Um, you know, those are sure to go up very soon, but right now it positioned them very well, uh, in the early part of their success. Um, but long-term, I don't know how much they will ramp up production to match Netflix's output and how long it will take to, you know, scale up globally like Netflix has done in impressive mash, uh, fashion over the past few years. Uh, they are doing very well in India. We've uh, kind of yes. talked about that before, too, uh, because of Hot Star, including having live sports like cricket to help uh, keep people <laughs> well, on their popular platform. popular in India, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's huge. So they actually outdrive Netflix in India right now, which is astonishing because Netflix had a head start uh, there as well. But, you know, can Netflix catch up in that region? Can Disney, you know, scale up faster than Netflix can grow in other places I don't know. Uh, we'll we'll see with that. But listen, I mean, Netflix is is a lot of times the smartest people in the room, and they're the number one uh, for a reason. So I don't count them out in all the pivots that they've done. I think they've done a tremendous job. So we'll see how that goes going forward. Yeah, and and I suppose the sort of the second question I have coming off of that is we know how big. Disney is. I mean, it's got theme parks in Paris, Florida, Los Angeles, Tokyo as well, I believe. You know, how can Netflix really compete with Disney? And secondly, 
is it actually trying to? Yeah, I think they already have been kind of planning on this in some regard. Like they probably saw this coming or at least kind of like uh, a hypothetical of if they pivoted to streaming, what would that look like? Um, they knew they had to keep families on their services. That's for sure. Uh, mm. So they've gone bananas with original <laughs> animated shows and movies that have been quite successful for them. I mentioned how much my kids uh, actually prefer to stay on Netflix and kind of dive around more than Disney Plus for that reason. Um, the Sony deal that they had, there was a distribution deal with their their window that brought Mitchells versus the Machines, Vivo, Wish Dragon, uh, all in last year. It was key to their success. And, you know, now this year, all their planning from several years ago, knowing they had to ramp up animation, has now paid off because they have several Netflix original animated films, including working with, you know, award-winning animation studios like Cartoon Saloon. I know everybody loved Wolfwalkers last year. Yeah. Uh, it's a tremendous studio. I love them. And also gifted creators like, you know, Guillermo del Toro, Key and Peele, Richard Linklater. You know, their sizzle reel for this year has several big-budget star-driven family films, too, like Slumberland with Jason Momoa or The School for Good and Evil with Charlize Theron, and Enola Holmes, uh, the sequel to that, is coming out as well with Millie Bobby Brown on the backs of another Stranger Things season. So Netflix is just very well positioned. They're cash positive for the first time in a long time or if ever. Um, they're making more blockbusters than ever before. So it will be a dogfight, David, to the very end. <laughs> One day we'll probably all just end up being, you know, like just like they're competing TV networks and they'll just coexist with very mm. similar numbers. They'll hit all a ceiling at some point. I believe Netflix will still be there. Disney Plus will also be there. How yeah. it gets there will be interesting. But I think at the end of the day, they're going to be very, you know, even at the end of yeah. the day. I mean, it's interesting to sort of analyze Netflix versus Disney, the competition, are they trying to take them on? But one thing is for sure, Disney Plus is growing fast. And I've got a question, and I'm actually going to answer my own question, which is a bit odd. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, there's a first time for everything, so we're going to do it on Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. I'm going to ask a question and then answer it. Why is Disney Plus growing so fast? Well, I think a lot of it, a lot has to do with the fact that in 2018, the Walt Disney Company acquired 21st Century Fox, which also included the TV broadcaster Star India, which you mentioned, the yeah. owner of India's most popular streaming platform, Hotstar. Two years later in 2020, the media conglomerate launched the rebranded Disney Plus Hotstar in India and Indonesia. Um, and the interesting thing is, is that by 2026, the conversion of the pre-existing platform will be rolled out to numerous other Asian countries as well um although the number of disney plus subscribers is increasing it's important to note that the average monthly revenue per paid user declined in the past year due to much lower subscription prices of the vod service in india and indonesia um 
So I think this is, again, really smart from Disney. They're pumping this streaming service out into India, into Indonesia. It's it's very cheap comparatively to the price that it is in the US. And, and it's getting people hooked on that platform. And then they will be in a position... Um, to potentially increase their prices accordingly if they because obviously there's that there's that fine balance between having you know loads of subscribers but not actually making any money and not as many subscribers and and making lots of money depending how much you charge right what was um intriguing to me was that forecasters are actually predicting disney plus could overtake netflix as the world's biggest streamer by 2026 um, which sounds futuristic, but it's only four years away, mm. um, which blows my mind. Um, but what it does do is lead us very nicely onto the next streamer. And as Andrew would say, we have saved the best until last. <laughs> it is, of course, Netflix. Um now, Netflix has fared well at the Oscars since earning its first nomination in 2014 for documentary feature The Square. Um, we won't dive all the way back to 2014, but let's have a quick look at recent years. 2020 Oscars, 24 noms, two wins. 2021 Oscars, 36 nominations, seven wins. 2022 Oscars, 27 nominations, how many wins? We will discuss. Um, it's a Netflix world and we're all just living in it. Um, <laughs> Netflix led with 36 noms last year and the world's top streaming service uh, registered 27 this year, including two for Best Picture for Don't Look Up and The Power of the Dog. Um, however, Tick Tick Boom did miss out on Best Picture, but I think Andrew made a, a, a really good point that... I mean, could Netflix have thirty percent of all the nominations? It's it's, it's unlikely. Tough. Yeah. Um. It's it it's 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 a tough. It. I mean, two is great. Don't get me wrong. But three would have maybe have been a bit of a stretch. Um. But what I mean, that Netflix is doing very very well in other areas. They actually have seven. Yes, seven of the twenty acting noms, as well as three nominations in the screenplay categories: "Don't Look Up," "The Lost Daughter," and "The Power of the Dog." Um, one nomination for international feature, "The Hand of God." Um, they even have three of the five documentary shorts, uh, which we reviewed on Andrew's show. Um, please do not only check out that show, but do watch these doc shorts. They're called "Audible," Three Songs for Benazir," and "Lead Me Home." Bring tissues. <laughs> I'm sure you would agree, Andrew. They're they're really hard hitting. Yeah. Um, and the th the thing about Netflix is, when it comes to the Oscars, you know they have more campaign staff and resources at their disposal. I would say than any of us, any of its competitors. And you know it's thought we don't know because the Academy never releases the ballots. Right. But it's <laughs> which is really which yeah. is really and are you are you, on, are you in the same boat as me? Like that's annoying. One hundred percent. Yeah. Just release the damn ballots and let us know what was second. <laughs> they don't um, want to hurt feelings, but screw that. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So the we we won't we we won't know. But it's thought that um. Roma uh, in 2018 came very close to winning Best Picture and The Trial of the Chicago 7 in 2020. Um, but no one has never been 
has sorry, no one has ever been better positioned, I would say, to win Best Picture than The Power of the Dog. Okay, so this is what worries me. (laughs) (laughs) And I've been very, very positive about Netflix, and I will be very, very positive about Netflix on this show. If you listen Mm -hmm. to me on Andrew's show, I'm always the positive, and Andrew's a bit more sort of down to earth. But, (laughs) But here's what worries me about The Power of the Dog. It would become only the fourth Western ever and the first in 29 years to win the Academy's top honour. It would also be the first time a streaming service has won Best Picture. And the stats don't lie. Netflix has struggled. Andrew, I know you like to be realistic, so just give us the history, the depressing history (laughs) in many ways for Netflix and why this may bode why this is foreboding, I should say, for the power of the dog. Yeah, we've kind of heard this story before, right? That's something that we <laughs> like to say all the time. Their Best Picture nominees in the past, Roma had 10 nominations. They had three wins, no Best Picture. Mm. The Irishman, a very high-profile Martin Scorsese movie with tons of stars, 10 nominations, no wins, including Best Picture. Marriage Story had six nominations with one win and no Best Picture. Mank, 10 nominations, Two wins, no best picture, and the trial of the Chicago Seven, six nominations, zero wins, including best picture. Yeah, and I think that just really shows you what I always say look, the Irishman, that Netflix tried. I mean, they really tried Scorsese, Pacino, De Niro, Joe Pesci, to name but a few stars in that movie. No wins, um, no best picture from Roma, The Irishman, Marriage Story, Mank, or The Trial. Um, But overall, Netflix has won 15 Oscars from 89 nominations. That's a 16.8539% conversion rate. Um, What does that mean? Well, let me put my maths cap on. Um, (laughs) I'm terrible at maths, by the way, but I did manage to work this out, so I'm proud of myself. Excellent. On that math... (laughs) (laughs) on that math Netflix should expect to win 4.5 Oscars obviously you can't win half an Oscar but the over under is at 4.5 this year Netflix had a total of 10 films nominated I'll briefly mention them The Power of the Dog Tick Tick Boom The Lost Daughter Don't Look Up The Mitchells vs. The Machines Robin Robin which we also reviewed on Andrew's show which is just adorable The Hand of God Lead Me Home Three Songs with Benazir, and Audible. Um, so what can we expect from Netflix this year? In light of that statistic, in light of that conversion rate, in light of the no best picture win history. Um, now, Andrew. Yes. Try and be positive. <laughs> I will try. <laughs> if you can. Um, overall, how are you feeling about Netflix's nominations this year? Yeah, I, I overall, I feel pretty good. Uh, I try to be, you know, as as pessimistic as I can sometimes, <laughs> but it is weird having the front runner for best picture in several other categories with the power of the dog and not feel over the moon about it. But it's hard to be confident in the major category nominations when most of the time they do not go Netflix's way, no matter how big they are or how hard they market these films. Um, but I do think that they are more focused 
this year, which is something we've talked about in the past about, mm. you know, maybe they had too many films, too many projects going on where they tried to be loyal to all of them evenly. And now I think they're a little more focused with Power of the Dog. And I think it showed in terms of the nominations. And I think they have a better chance than they have in previous years because of it. Yeah, I would agree with everything you've said there. They're definitely, you know, it leads the way with 12 nominations. They're more focused. I think they've really focused their campaign in on the power of the dog. Um, it wasn't all sort of sunshine and rainbows and, and happy clapping for for Netflix. There were a few snubs. Um, what snubs upset you and also surprised you on that nominations morning? David, put me on an emotional roller coaster, buddy. You're like, hey, perk up. <laughs> unhappy guy and oh by the way what upset you um i want to know what pissed you off on uh, nomination day um for netflix i would say it's tick tick boom and best picture uh that was seeming like a possibility after all the guild nominations so i was rooting for it but i think ultimately the voters as you mentioned too didn't want to reward netflix with three of the 10 best pictures nominations uh, yeah. Based on that, I was surprised, actually, that the film also got a film editing nomination with not getting a Best Picture nomination. I thought that was uh, quite interesting to see. Um, I was also upset and surprised with uh, Best Supporting Actress. Talk about an emotional roller coaster there. Mm. Uh, as I thought Ruth Nega from Passing was good for the nomination, but unfortunately she did not. But as a surprise to me, Jesse Buckley did get the nomination for Lost Daughter, which I really liked her performance, so I guess I'll accept the trade, as it were, uh, to see that that BAFTA nomination was not just uh, you know, an aberration. Yeah, I mean, The Lost Daughter um, isn't a film... It's a very acting-heavy piece. Um, Olivia Coleman is brilliant in it, but Jesse Buckley is half of that movie. Um, almost... Uh, she's not a lead role. She is a supporting, but it's a big supporting role. It is, and I was, um, I was delighted to to see her to to be to see her be nominated. Um, if I'm honest, um, I've sort of asked you this question already, um, but I'm going to ask you it again just to sort of wind you up a bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is this Netflix's best ever chance of winning Best Picture, and why will the Power of the Dog lose? <laughs> <laughs> Again with the roller coaster, my friend. Um, <laughs> yes, I believe it is uh, Netflix's yeah. best chance of winning Best Picture ever, but I can definitely see it losing uh, for the reasons I kind of laid out with our King Richard conversation. Mm. You know, uh, the movie's a tough sit, a slow burn, and ultimately works better in a theater, weirdly enough, which is not good news for a film from a streaming giant that yeah. a lot of people are either watching it through uh, the Oscar portal or, you know, on Netflix itself. Um, will something more vibrant and joyful win instead? Will something that isn't a Netflix movie win? Uh, because mm. there's still some inherent bias against streamers, especially Netflix being the biggest one. It's quite possible. Uh, the thing is that all of these Best Picture nominations seemingly have flaws in their resumes, so... It's kind of hard to say with any certainty right now which way that's going to go. So we'll, we'll see. But there is a world, I think, and, and a decent uh, world where, you know, joy wins at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've learned the hard way. There's no such thing as a lock. 
Um, but (laughs) (laughs) the very hard way. Um, What would you say is Netflix's best chance of Oscars gold overall? Like, I don't want to say slam dunk, but what are you most confident of winning on Oscars Sunday? I think you would probably agree with me that Jane Campion for best director is probably the one, right? Uh, Yeah, I would agree with that, yeah. She's won all season long from critical bodies all over and has been nominated everywhere after that. You know, no Denis Villeneuve either, which is huge. Um, I think they can reward many of those other nominees Mm. in this category somewhere else, too. Uh, So even Oscar puzzle theories can't dissuade me on this one. I think this is probably the best bet, as it were. Yeah. um, The Duke of Bettingham agrees. Um, (laughs) Yes. I, again, I sort of know the answer, but I'm, I'm, I'm taking you on this journey, this emotional journey. Um, what would you like to see win the most from, from, from a Netflix perspective? Yeah, you know that uh, my favorite Netflix film of the year because we did our top fives and you're, you're a, a very nice person to listen to my podcast. <laughs> I would say, uh, you know, because Tick, Tick, Boom was my favorite one. Either Andrew Garfield winning for Best Actor, that would bring me a lot of joy or as you can tell from this conversation as well mitchell's versus the machines for best animated feature would really make me smile but unfortunately i currently don't see either of those outcomes uh happening at the moment yeah i mean don't rule them out like like we said i mean i think i think garfield needs to win sag um i think that 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 will help you know traject his campaign um, I think he needs to win that to sort of stay in the race, or, or it will be between Smith and Benedict Cumberbull. Right. Um, but um, and also Mitchell's versus the Machines. There's a long way to go in there, um, and I would love to see it win. Um, let's say they do win, and the dog has a has its day, as as you would say. <laughs> yes. Um, which I thought was a great pun. Um, <laughs> how many wins are you predicting? Is it over or under four point five? Will they will they beat the maths? I'd say I'm around six or seven wins at the moment, so mm. I'm in the over. Um, even with my current pessimistic mood, as mentioned before, I think <laughs> the power of the dog could get four or five on its own, I agree. quite frankly. So Netflix should be happy uh, on Oscar night uh, when this all wraps up. Yeah, um, a couple more questions as we do come into land. Um, and this, I really wanted to pick your brain on this one. You know, is the Academy... And other voting bodies. We know there's been a lot of reform in the um, in the American Academy, in the British Academy. Mm. Obviously, there was a complete revamp of the HFPA as well. Are these voting bodies now more welcoming of streamers? Or do you think there is still this sort of bias that you hear from the likes of i think it's spielberg that hate is it spielberg that hates netflix well and then he signed a deal you know amblin has a deal with netflix now so you <laughs> well, know even those things change so well yeah so exactly so that so my question is are times changing are these voting bodies becoming more welcoming of streamers it's really hard to say i think it's to a person but i think it is slowly improving um you know, they're really good at nominating them. We've kind of gone over yes. that. Um, so it isn't a strong bias, but I do think that there is still something there. Um, but of course, between 
other major studios moving their content to streaming more and more, and even how that got really rocky with HBO Max and Warner and some of the deals mm. like with Wonder Woman or with Christopher Nolan and that kind of fallout, that didn't go so well, um, you know, and kind of made maybe Netflix look a little better. Um, and Netflix has also been providing a lot of jobs and support to projects all throughout the pandemic. So I think some attitudes are changing especially as, you know, like you mentioned, they widened the memberships over the past few years. So I think overall it might be improving. Will we see? I think Power of the Dog is really going to show. Because if this has been so strong so long and at the end of the day it doesn't win, I think that might be one of the, the contributing factors big time. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. If if the power of the dog um you know f- falls by the wayside and ultimately loses best picture to something like I mean for me it's it's between the dog and Belfast. Like I don't think West Side Story we said it was a three-headed monster on my first episode. Right. Um punditry the betting market would suggest it's now more of a two-headed beast. Um but I think this Academy Awards, on the back of a of a of a four hundred year pandemic, um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how Netflix do. You know, mm. their 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 cards are on the table. You know, they're 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 really trying with their campaigning. So if they can't land it this year, I think that is going to be damaging for for their awards campaigns going forward and that leads me on to my last question um and that is what does the netflix oscar slate look like for 2022 i know you do a state of the union episode and my question to you is will netflix be heavy-handed come the 95th it is really early for that conversation. It should, <laughs> it should, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be though, because in past years we've had at least some insight. Mm. I know at this time last year, or at least coming soon, we would have our Netflix uh, State of the Union episode, and I think last year I was like hard on the harder they fall. Um, you know, uh, the power of the dog was mentioned, but I didn't think we thought it was like this big front runner. Uh, Tick Tick Boom was mentioned. Don't look up. So a lot of those things that we thought of, you know, say in March of last year, ended up coming to uh, to prominence, you know, as we stand here today. So you know, is there something like that now? Sort of. Um, I mean, Noah Baumbach's new film, White Noise, will probably be a strong Oscar nominee for them this year. Mm. I was disappointed to hear rumors that Fincher's new film, The Killer, uh, will not be ready by year's end. So that's, you know, kind of tough. Um, it will be interesting to see if they will try to acquire a few films from the major festivals like they did with The Lost Daughter and Passing in 2021. Yeah. Obviously, Sundance has come and gone, and they only acquired one documentary. Um, that I'm aware of. So they didn't exactly go for broke on that festival. So I don't know if their position changes a little bit like that. Um, you know, but we also have knives out too. Uh, that comes out this year. So that might have some Oscars love after the first one was nominated for best original screenplay. But again, that was a one nominee movie, which was odd. Um, but yeah, I also love their animated slate. If you, if we wanted can, you know, it's we always focus on the heavy dramas or what we think yes. might win best picture, but I think twenty twenty two will be the best year in a while for them uh, to have their sights on best animated feature um, because, like I mentioned, uh, films from like Cartoon Saloon, 
Um, you know, uh, we have that's I believe my father's dragon. Mm. You know, Guillermo del Toro, Richard Linklater, Key and Peele. You know, all these big names uh, that they're bringing to the animated slate. So I think right now, if that's the early thoughts for me, is that that one is probably their strongest category at the moment. We'll see about Best Picture nominations uh, come next year. That is a fantastic answer, and if that is not a reason to to to, to subscribe to Netflix and listen <laughs> to Andrew's podcast, I don't know what is. Um, and it does, in fact, bring us um, to the end of this uh, streaming special on Road to the Oscars. Um, so I just want to say thank you so much for joining uh, us on this third episode of Road to the Oscars. Uh, Andrew, it has been fantastic to analyse the power of the streamers with you on this episode. Um, you did a great pitch for Netflix there. Now <laughs> I want you <laughs> now I want you to do another pitch for yourself. Just remind the listener where they can find you over at the Nomcast. Yeah, the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast, is on Twitter and Instagram at NomcastPod, and you can go to nomcastpod.com. Uh, for all past episodes and current episodes and all into nice lovely categories including oscar fair so please check that out and you know check out all the past episodes with david we've done a great job i think especially in the past uh, month or two uh, trying to really hone in on this uh, oscars year yeah, I mean, I know Mike, Mike and Oscar invented Oscar's puzzle theory, but it's something that gives me sleepless nights. What does it all mean? <laughs> Who is going to win? Um, and if you want to have sleepless nights, why not come and join us on social media and you can see me losing my mind. Um, we're on Twitter at Film Is Worth It. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Is It Worth It, the film review podcast you can also email the show with your thoughts on this episode please email the show at my mail is worth it at is it worth it podcast.com that email address again my mail is worth it at is it worth it podcast.com you can find all of our extensive back catalogue of work where you're listening to the show right now or head on over to www.isitworthitpodcast.com um the next episode of road to the oscars is going to be just as action-packed as this one as we will be analyzing all four of the acting categories at the 94th academy awards i have a guest lined up we're just uh, setting a date and firming that up but that should be out probably a week or so after this um so before i literally run out of breath um i've been david long he's been andrew morgan of the nomcast and this has been Road to the Oscars. We will be back talking all, thing Osc all things Oscars before you know it. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you, David. <laughs>